Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poet's Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 7, Part 2, Episode 18. Podcast 140 is entitled King Arthur. In last week's episode, the Red Cross Knight is seduced by Duessa and captured by the giant Orgoglio and put into a dungeon. In this podcast, we continue with the adventures of the Red Cross Knight who is languishing in the dungeon of the giant. The dwarf witnessed the Red Cross Knight's capture. He picks up all the mournful armor of the Red Cross Knight and sadly leaves to tell his tale to Una. The woeful dwarf which saw his master fall while he had keeping of his grazing steed. And valiant knight became a caitiff thrall when all was past, took up his forlorn weed, his mighty armor, missing most at need, his silver shield, now idle, masterless, his poignant spear that many made to bleed the rueful monuments of heaviness, and with them all depart. To tell his great distress. Notice that the Red Cross Knight did not wear his armor when he most needed it. For example, the Red Cross Knight did not have his armor on when Duessa seduced him, therefore he fell to her salacious charm. The Red Cross Knight did not have his armor on when the giant Orgoglio, who was three times larger than he was, attacked him. The Red Cross Knight had never lost a battle before because he always wore his armor. When he most needed it, however, he had placed it out of his reach. Soon the dwarf met Una, head hung heavy in sorrow, for she thought her knight had been killed. She was still fleeing from the pagan Sansloy, who was in a bloody battle with her hero, the Saturane. When she saw the dwarf carrying the armor of the Red Cross Knight, she fell to the ground in a swoon, for it confirmed her fears. He had not traveled long, when on his way he woeful lady Woeful Una met, fast flying from the Paynim's greedy prey, while Saturn him from pursuit did let. Who, when her eyes she on the dwarf had set and saw the signs that deadly tidings spake, she fell to ground for sorrowful regret, and lively breath her sad breast did forsake, yet might her piteous heart be seen to pant and quake. The dwarf, who loved Una, nearly died for pity at seeing her fall. He rubs her temples and strokes her chin and brings her out of her faint. Still thinking her knight is dead, she grieves her great loss. With great difficulty, the dwarf coaxes Una back to life. The messenger of so unhappy news would fain have died. Dead was his heart within, yet outwardly some little comfort shows at last recovering heart. He does begin to rub her temples and to chaff her chin, and every tender part does toss and turn. 
So hardly he that flitted life does win unto her native prison to return. Then gins her grieved ghost thus to lament and mourn. Una laments as she sees the armor of the fallen knight. She wants to die, for her life and love were wrapped up in the Red Cross night. She wanted eternal night to cover the sad sight. Ye dreary instruments of doleful sight, that doe this deadly spectacle behold, why do you longer feed on loath light or liking fine to gaze on earthly mold, sith cruel fates that careful threats unfold? the which my life and love together tied. Now let the stony dart of senseless cold pierce to my heart and pass through every side and let eternal night so sad sight from me hide. She wants the sun to hide his face forever. She wants the windows of heaven to shut because the sights of the earth only bring sorrow. She wanted it all to be sealed up in death. O lightsome day, the lamp of highest Jove, first made by him men's wandering ways to guide. When darkness he in deepest dungeons drove, henceforth thy hated face forever hide, and shut up heaven's windows shining wide, for earthly sight cannot but sorrow breed, and late repentance, which shall long abide, mine eyes no more on vanity shall feed, but sealed up with death, shall have their deadly mead. Una fainted again, but the dwarf quickly revived her. Three times she sank in a despairing faint, and three times the dwarf revived her. With trembling lips, having gathered some strength, she commands the dwarf to tell her his sad tale concerning the death of the Red Cross Knight, as testified to by the armor he carried. Then down again she fell into the ground, but he her quickly reared up again. Thrice did she sink, a dowd in deadly swoon, and thrice he her revived with busy pain. At last, when life recovered, had the rain, and over-wrestled his strong enemy, with faltering throng and trembling every vein. Tell on, quoth she, the woeful tragedy, the which these relics sad present unto mine eye. She tells the dwarf that the tales he bears cannot be heavier than what she already fears. Since she has borne the whole story, she can bear the parts or the details. She instructs the dwarf to tell the entire bitter tale. How could the story be worse? If it is less than she fears, that is some comfort. Tempetuous fortune hath spent all her spite, and thrilling sorrow thrown her utmost dart. Thy sad tongue cannot tell more heavy plight than that I feel and harbor in my heart. Who hath endured the whole can bear each part, if death it be, it is not the first wound that launched hath my breast with bleeding smart. Begin and end the bitter baleful stound, if less than that I fear more favor I have found. The dwarf began the entire discourse. He told of the subtle deceit of Archimago, the wanton loves of the deceitful Duessa who called herself Padessa, who was bought with the blood of Sans Boy, that bold pagan whom the Red Cross Knight had killed. He tells of the wretched couple turned to tree mold by the witch Duessa. He told of the house of pride and the peril of the dungeon. He told of the combat with Sans Joy, 
and the unhappy combat with the giant Orgoglio, into whose prison the Red Cross Knight was held captive. Then gan the dwarf the whole discourse declare, the subtle trains of Archimago old, the wanton loves of false Fidesa fair, bought with the blood of vanquished pain and bold, the wretched pair transformed to tree mold, the house of pride and perils round about, the combat which he with Sansvoy did hold, the luckless conflict which the giant stout, wherein captived of life or death he stood in doubt. Una patiently listens to the entire tale, fighting off the sorrow in her heart, which grew greater and greater till it tore her heart in twain. Her love for the night put fresh coals on the fire. No lady ever loved as Una loved the Red Cross Knight. The greater the love, the greater the loss. She heard with patience all unto the end, and strove to master sorrowful assay, which greater grew the more she did contend, and almost rent her tender heart in twain and love fresh coals unto her fire did lay. For greater love, the greater is the loss. Was never lady love dearer day than she did love the knight of the red cross, for whose dear sake so many troubles her did toss. Finally, when her sorrow was softened, she rose up resolved to find the red cross knight alive or dead. She goes forward with the dwarf, but feeds on her sorrow reliving it over and over. They travel far and wide in search of the giant's castle. At last, when fervent sorrow slacked was, she up arose, resolving him to find alive or dead, and forward forth doth pass, all as the dwarf the way to her ascend, and evermore in constant careful mind she fed her wound with fresh renewed bell. Long tossed with storms and bet with bitter wind, high over hills and low adowed the dell, she wandered many a wood and measured many a vale. With great luck she chanced upon King Arthur, the greatest knight of all. He had on the full armor of God, which shined far away bright as the sun. It was covered with precious stones. At last she chanced by good hap to meet a goodly knight, there marching by the way together with his squire, arrayed meet, his glittering armor shined far away like glancing light of Phoebus' brightest ray. From top to toe no place appeared bare that deadly dint of steel in danger may. Athwart his breast a baldric brave he wear that shined like twinkling stars which stones most precious rare. He wore one precious stone that shined like the morning star. He wore the sword Excalibur. All of his armor was made by the great enchanter Merlin, who stood opposite to the evil enchanter Archimago. And in the midst thereof one precious stone of wondrous worth and eke of wondrous might shaped like a lady's head exceeding shone like Hesperus amongst the lesser lights and strove for to amaze the weaker sight. Thereby his mortal blade full comely hung in ivory sheath, carved with curious slights, whose hilts were burnished gold and handled strong of mother pearl, and buckled with a golden tongue. King Arthur is the son of Uther Pendragon, which accounts for his dragon crest. Arthur looks fierce in his fiery armor. His haughty helmet, 
horrid, all with gold, both glorious bright, and great terror bred. For all the crest a dragon did enfold with greedy paws, and over all did spread his golden wings. His dreadful hideous head, close crouched on the bever, seemed to throw from flaming mouth bright sparkles fiery red. That suddering horror to faint hearts did show, and scaly tile was stretched adown his back, full low. King Arthur's head is also decked out in splendor. Upon the top of all his lofty crest, a bunch of hairs, discolored diversely with sprinkled pearl and gold full rich dress, did shake and seem to dance for jollity, like to an almond tree e mounted high on top of green Salinas all alone, with blossoms brave bedecked daintily whose tender locks do tremble every one at every little breath that under heaven is blown. Arthur's shield was made of diamond that could not be pierced with mortal sword. His warlike shield all closely covered was, ne might of mortal eye be ever seen, not made of steel nor of enduring brass, such earthly metals soon consumed been. But all of diamond, perfect, pure, and clean, it framed was one massive entire mold hewn out of adamant rock and engines king. That point of spirit never Pearson could need dint of direful sword divide the substance wood. His armor, of course, suggests that he wears the full armor of God as described by Paul in Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Unlike the youthful Red Cross Knight, who took off his armor at the most critical moment, King Arthur's armor is tried and impenetrable, and Arthur rose triumphant. Arthur triumphed over huge monsters and unequal armies, Even the moon waxed pale before the brightness of King Arthur's armor. The same to white he never want disclosed, but when as monsters huge he would dismay or daunt unequal armies of his foes, or when the flying heavens he would affray. For so exceeding shone his glistening ray that Phoebus' golden face it did attain, and when a cloud his beams doth overlay, and silver Cynthia waxed pale and faint, 
as when her face is stained with magic art's constraint. The magic of the evil wizard Archimago overpowered Una and the Red Cross Knight. However, no magic arts had power over King Arthur because he wore the shield of faith. He discerned all deceit. No magic arts hereof had any might or bloody words of bold enchanters call, but all that was not such as seemed in sight before that shield did fade and sudden fall. And when him list the rascal routs a palm, men into stones therewith he would transmute and stones to dust, and dust to naught at all. And when him list the prouder looks subdue, he would then gazing blind, or turn to other hue. The one who made King Arthur's armor was none other than Merlin, the grandest of all magicians, half-man and half-angel. At King Arthur's death, the fairy queen brought his armor to fairyland. Nee let it seem that credence this exceeds, for he that made the same was known right well to have done much more admirable deeds. It Merlin was, which whilom did excel all living whites in might of magic spell. Both shield and sword and armor all he wrought for this young prince when first to arms he fell. But when he died, the fairy queen it brought to fairyland where yet it may be seen, if sought. Join us next week as we conclude Canto 7. King Arthur agrees to help Una deliver the Red Cross Knight from Orgoglio's dungeon. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.